Is this just going to be an audio podcast, or am I going to have to make sure? Yeah, that... this is just the audio. Don't okay. worry. You can look as ugly as you are. <laughs> Wowza. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ad Nerdium, to the point of nerdness. I am your host, Patrick Salerno, and today with me, I have my longtime friend, avid nerd, writer, and all-around RPG expert, Risen Means. Hello there, Risen. How are you doing today? You're doing well? Hello. I'm, I'm good. I'm well. Nice. So, Risen, uh, you are currently a college student at Ringling, studying creative writing, and you're working on a couple of projects related to storytelling and role-playing. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, uh, I'm currently working on a micro RPG uh, anthology that's uh, being published on Drive-Through RPG. It's uh, a culmination of a whole bunch of submitted and invited designers. We, we have designers like um, Alex Roberts who did um, Starcross and uh, Banana Chan who, who's been doing, they, they've been doing a whole bunch of really cool things among a bunch of other really talented um, designers, uh, me and my co-editor were working on that and it will come out some point next year. That is awesome. Um, so for those of us who don't know, which honestly I'm still trying to figure out what it means, what is a micro RPG? So a micro RPG is something, is a single storytelling experience single session experience i have that we've gotten games that are uh 15 minutes long or three hours long um these are also like solo games so they take these very specific experiences and put them into one or two page games that you can play and experience and replay and mm -hmm. re-experience a whole new variety of ways. Unlike, you know, like a, like a video game because video games are also oftentimes are very single player experiences or very single experiences. But with this added, with, because it's a role-playing game and you could expand the rules or take away rules that you don't want to, there's that opens the doorway for a whole lot more um, experiences and stories to be told within that frame. That is awesome. Yeah, I've never I've never played any uh, micro RPGs, and you and I have talked about it uh, a few times, and it's they seem really fascinating. Like the the way that I'm kind of justifying it in my head mm -hmm. is it's like you know a regular rpg is like a full graphic novel but the micro out rpg is equivalent of getting like a single comic issue yeah yeah and it's like here's this version of that yeah yeah it's 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 a lot it's a lot like that it's because a lot a lot of like like if you're playing a DD &D game though uh, a, a campaign can go on for years or months right yeah so what a micro game does is it's like a lot of these games that we have can very easily be played like, okay, we're tired of D&D. We've been playing for the past four hours. Let's take a break. We still want to play We still want to play a game, <laughs> but we don't want to be 
these people for right now or maybe the dm is like i i need my brain to rest i need, yeah. i want to play something else um with my friends so let's let's all pretend to be soviet spies for 15 <laughs> minutes or let's all come make up this story by ourselves or or let's save the world in 15 minutes right well you and i as the as the forever dms are certainly there a lot <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, this ties in nicely with what our topic is for today, uh, creating meaningful stories in role-playing games. Um, when we were trying to figure out the topic and, and deciding it, there's like, you know, 150 different ways that you can talk about role-playing <laughs> games. Um, they have exploded in popularity in the past decade even sooner you know that kind of big boom i think uh the player's handbook for dungeons and dragons is still one of amazon's bestsellers you know it is an ever expanding market even over zoom yeah. and discord or skype <laughs> people are still getting on their platforms to to try to tell these stories and you know for me role playing games have that interesting medium of it, it is a game but it is also a very intense and personal storytelling experience even though it's also a shared storytelling experience and i want to i guess first go to the idea of the power of that storytelling experience why do you think people are drawn to rpgs as a game and as a medium of storytelling i think uh people are drawn to rpgs for the same reason why there's movie buffs and why there's people who read books. I think subconsciously, everybody wants conflict. You know, like the, the only problem is we don't want the conflict we have, right? Nobody wants to be dealing with the, the real problems that we're facing. Nobody wants to worry about the, the homework that's... <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that doesn't mean... I, I think if you ask most people today, you can have every single problem you have right now be taken away, but all you have to do is find six friends and kill a dragon. Most people would take you up on that opportunity, I think. And Dungeons and Dragons and, and role-playing games alike uh, allow that to happen. It's... Uh, for for a few brief hours every every week uh someone is allowed without judgment to be someone else and you you don't see that often right you will never see a let, let's say one a group a dnd group meets for four hours every week for an entire year right that's 52 weeks four hours apiece nobody ever is gonna go watch a movie every weekend that's four hours long for an entire year. So what do you think then is the reason that people want to keep coming back to role-playing role games as often as you say they do? What is it about this medium of storytelling that opens it up to that seemingly, or what could be seen as repetition? And this long drawn out, as you're saying, four hours a week, 
for 52 weeks out of the year, that's a long time to spend, you know, on one story. What is it about this story and this method of storytelling, I should say, that makes it different? I think it's it's a, a combination of a, a bunch of different things. One piece that definitely plays into it is, for some people, it is the only the only time that they see certain people are in the context of playing this game, right? So take the story out of it. Take the actual gameplay out of it. I just want to hang out with these people. And the only time that I get to hang out with these people are every Saturday at my local game store, right? So, so I think that plays a, a significant portion into that. I think, but bringing it back to, to stories and, and story-wise, one of the things that role-playing games do really well, it, it allows, it, it doesn't just have the spotlight on one person constantly, right? It isn't just the story about you. It's the story about your group. So while every good game, every good session, every good campaign should have moments um, that where every character feels um, unique and every character feels seen and every character feels mm. important, right? Every good campaign has that. Um, it's not just about those moments. It's... It's a lot of listening, right? Like combat rounds are a great example of this, where it's you will spend one sixth of the time in a combat round actually using your turn, right? But most people pay attention to the other five sixths of that because that that all matters. That all pertains to to the context, even though it doesn't specifically affect your character, your creation. I, th I, th I think a, another part of it is it's, again, one of those things where you could just escape and forget really quickly. It's really easy to put yourself in those shoes because you're, you decide it, right? No one can say that you're not acting the way that your character would act because you are your character. You decide how they would and would not act. So, well, yes, there, there are certain like caveats to that where it's like, well, my eight intelligence dwarf wouldn't know certain things, wouldn't know basic arithmetic. And you're right. But there are, it's, it is up to the individual player what their character does and does not do. There, there's two points to that that I want to I want to touch on. The first is that idea of community, because I think one of the things that I am noticing, mm -hmm. having filmed, uh, filmed, uh, recorded a couple more episodes of this podcast, is it really ties back to community in, in a way that I didn't really think about too much at the start. That all of these things that matter to us, I think, matter because of community. And role-playing games, you know, regardless of the rules, and it, it is difficult to say to any audience member listening, this is how role-playing games work, because there's a vast number of them that all function very differently. Um, there's some general principles. Most of them involve, you know, more than one person. Most of them involve an element of teamwork. 
most of them involve an element of dice rolling and chance. But then again, not even all of them offer any of those. There's that one. What's the one that does the, the Jenga block? Uh, there's two pretty famous ones. There's um, Dread, which is a horror-themed uh, one. Yes. And there's Starcrossed, yeah. which is a more romance-themed one. And so with, uh, with both of those, are, you know, they function really differently. But what defines this genre is community. It's that group at that table. It is that shared storytelling experience, with his, which is both very personal and very communal. And there's power, I think, in finding the personal through the community, being able to identify yourself through your similarities and differences with others. Um, and that, those differences appear with the characters that you either make or are playing. Uh, depending on, again, if the role-playing game assigns you a character or if you make them. And with those other others at the table and how you're contrasting those various personalities. I think that's a very prominent aspect of this art form, of this game, and is something that causes everybody who likes this game to really connect with it, is that sense of community. And you mentioned that the, the second thing is autonomy. There's choice. There's personal stake, more so than any other kind of story. You know, when you're reading Lord of the Rings, Frodo's going to do what Frodo's is going to do. And it's going to happen when you turn the next page, whether you think he's being an idiot or, or not. You know, <laughs> everybody says, you know, Sam Wise is the hero and he's going to be the real hero of the story regardless, because the words aren't going to change. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're reading the predefined experience. In role-playing games, you are making the definition. You are defining the, the experience. Uh, and I think that's a very noticeable difference between the two. Yeah, it's, um, it's something that, that is uniquely with role-playing games, right? Like, video games have an aspect of that. It, it breaches really close to that. There are moments in video games where people feel like, oh, I'm, I'm glad this happens to me because I doubt it's happened to any other person, right? And you get those moments where you can exchange stories with other people who, like, this is what happened in your game, well, this is what happened in my game with video games. But with video games, you are confined to what the developer program. Yes which has its benefits, right? But w when you're sitting around a table and all playing this game with other people, those other people around the table, that, that confinement isn't there. You know, you're free to do whatever without really any judgment if you're playing with the right people, you know? I mean, if you make a fool of yourself, right? If, you're, if you are an asshole or whatever, then, uh, you know, people start to judge you a little bit more. But for the most part, right, like, people don't really bat an eye when people do start doing silly voices, right? People don't bat an eye when uh, they say that they kill an actual man, right? Like a bandit or whatever, because it's in the, these are things that happen in the game uh, that everyone deems acceptable and, and, there's a there's a beauty in that. I remember one of my one of the favorite memes 
on the internet is that classic video game trope of there's a character that you really like and something bad happens and you're given like the three dialogue options and you want to forgive them but the dialogue options are like i hate you you know i'm going to seek revenge or never talk to me again and all you want to say to them is no i accept you please but there's no choice that you you can make that feels the way that you want it to be mm-hmm. you know i think even in the most interactive video games as of now like who knows what technology is going to look like you know, in 20, 30 years. But as of now, the question for a video game is still the same as the question for a book or a a movie. You know, the group of people creating the story, usually the one writer or, you know, the lead story developer, has to ask the question, what is the story I want to tell? Mm -hmm. In role-playing games, it is just what is the story we are going to create. And there's that two difference, tell versus create, Mm -hmm. I versus we. Yeah, it's it's one of the, like, you can't speed run a dungeon, right? That's why streaming Dungeons & Dragons is so difficult why streaming any role-playing game is so difficult for a new up-and-coming group, right? Because it is uh, more of a commitment. A video game takes a certain level of commitment, right? But for most AAA games, right, you can skip all the cutscenes. You can decide to play on the easiest or most difficult setting. You could watch someone play it, get the whole story that way. With role-playing games, that, that gets taken away. You don't get to choose what difficulty you play at. You don't get to skip cutscene. It's, uh, it's much more of a shared experience, right? Because video games have that level of shared experience, but it's much more impersonal, right? Because that shared experience could be shared with millions of other people. Most role-play, role-playing games get shared with six people who you know who you could call who you could write a letter to who you could get lunch with and and that that is the beauty in it you you at four o'clock you know you could be sitting down getting lunch with your dm or gm and at seven o'clock you could be crying at their table because your character just died you know (laughs) And it's, it's one of those things where if done right, you know, this is all assuming that it's done correctly, but uh, if done right, well, let's, it's... Yeah, let's, uh, let's dig into that, because we're, we're talking a lot about how role-playing games are a different medium of storytelling than other uh, forms of entertainment out there. And this, mm-hmm. at the, this podcast episode is you know, creating meaningful stories in role-playing games. So, you know, both of us have had very long conversations. We're not a fan of gatekeepers, which is another common thread on this podcast, um, Mm -hmm. is the balance between uh, gatekeeping and the general nerd population. And there's also no one way, and this has been expressed by a lot of people, there's no one way to do role-playing games right. But I think as with everything else, you can learn 
to hone your experience as you get better. I do think people can get better at role-playing games because of the skills that are so often associated with it. Um, I'm recalling the podcast and streams from Critical Role, from Dimension 20, from NADPOD, you know, all of those D&D streamers, uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, when they talk about D&D in interviews or in, you know, casual conversations, they mention the skills. Um, Brennan Lee Mulligan, who I'm a huge fan of, um, who maybe one day will listen to this podcast, <laughs> um, talks about the skills of Dungeons & Dragons a lot on, on his shows. And so if there are skills that can be developed and you can develop skills from this game, then you can get better at this game. Because it involves skills, useful skills that we use when we're trying to market people into playing this game. Role-playing games was destined to happen, you know, because of the skills at place. We have been telling stories since there were people, right? We've been communicating stories since there were people. And role-playing games is just another way of telling a story and it's just it calls back to when people would recite epics right like the epics of beowulf and odysseus and all that by heart just through rhyming and, and all that like it, it's akin to that every session of a role-playing game but it adds that interactive element into it the audience gets to play beowulf right and they don't know what's come what's behind that door or they don't know when that monster is going to attack or they don't know what's going to happen at this party or whatever those all those skills are present at all forms of, of storytelling and especially that of, of verbal storytelling i mean stories have been used to make sense of the world you know, the tales of Kronos and Zeus are tales to make sense of the, the chaos and order of the world. You know, these stories have been used in all sorts of ways to make sense of things which seem unsensible. Whether that is the acceptance or fight against death, against cruelty, whether that is just the explanation of why there are clouds or streams. Stories have had a very powerful impact on, on all of us and throughout history. I mean, I'm, I'm a senior theater major, but I'm only just now taking Theater 101. Um, <laughs> I've taken every other course except that one. And there, it's funny how theater, especially as, a, as an art form, but all sorts of art forms, had been intentionally restricted and constricted by the powerful in order to prevent the marketing of other understandings of the world. Um, like church, especially, outlawing a lot of different forms of plays, not looking back to uh, the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians and their theatrical traditions because it was seen as debaucherous, it was seen as bad, as potentially evil, this mimicry. Um, and this recreation. And even when, you know, the Renaissance came on and 
you know, you had your mystery plays and your morality plays that the Catholic Church was sanctioning, they were sanctioned very specifically. You had your Corpus Christi plays, you had your mystery plays, you had your morality plays, and each of them were related back to why God was good and you needed to listen to God and subscribe to your specific role in society. That stories have long been a, a mode of understanding the universe uh, and of sometimes creating or enforcing an understanding of the universe. And so with all with all that in mind, the powerful nature of storytelling, the the skills gained through role-playing games when you're in the act of creating these stories on the spot, and the idea that there are so many different role-playing games that there isn't really one correct way to do it, how, then, do we create a meaningful story in role-playing games? I think that answer is different for every table, you know? It requires communication. It requires a conversation with between the the players and the the DM about what they want and don't want. Right? Some people just want to punch things. Some people just want to talk to things. Some people want a healthy balance of the two. And. I think it is important for every DM to... Disclaimer, we're not talking about punching about real things. Just so everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. He's still punching things yeah. within the story. Punching things the, with swords in your head, in your mind. Um, I, think, I think there are things that uh, every player wants and things that every DM wants. And there's compromises to be made, right? Like... And I think people's attitudes can shift if they're in the right group, right? Like someone who, who only likes combat, I think, could learn to love role play more if they were introduced to a group that um, they really clicked with, right? That, that really helped them along with that. And I think vice versa, too. I think someone who only really likes uh, role play could learn to like combat a little bit more if they participate in some good combat, like combats that they really enjoy. I, I think um, a, lot of, a lot of what makes a game good versus what makes a, a game bad is the conversation that takes place, whether there was a conversation at all, you know? Some people, I've been in games where I really did not like it, but talking to the players afterwards, they really did like it. So there was this unspoken conversation that took place where it was, these players really clicked with what that DM was doing, and I just wasn't. Uh, not that anyone was wrong or anyone was right. It was... Uh, Plainly, plain and simple, this DM was not the DM for me, or this player was not the right player for that DM. So that, that's the difference between a good and a bad game, whether, the, whether there is that conversation that takes place. It certainly starts with that, yeah. And from what I am gathering from what you're saying, you know, the first step is clear communication 
and finding a group where you can get that understanding. And sometimes that's hard because there's not always a plethora of people to go to, but having that clear communication and understanding with a group of people you feel comfortable with is the gateway to creating a meaningful experience. With that understanding, we have clear communication and a group that you understand. I think when that happens, it's important to remember that the clear communication is a constant process. Being able to have conversations and check-ins with people um, to make sure that boundaries aren't being crossed and that everybody is still in enjoying what they're doing. Because I think it, it, it is the act of enjoyment that ultimately determines within the situation whether or not a story is meaningful. Because at the end of the day, we have to also recognize that this is a game. And that's where it gets its power. And I think it's entirely okay to have emotional moments that are riveting, whether that's anxiety-inducing or sadness. Both of those are fine, as long as there is an undercurrent of enjoyment. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of Aristotle with his poetics. And the poetics talk about how tragedy is supposed to be set up. Most of what Aristotle said about comedy has been lost. Um, there's fragments of it. But the idea that a, a good tragedy is supposed to evoke fear and pity is the, the key to that story. Um, is that any any good tragedy should evoke those two emotions. I have no idea what he would have said is the, the goal of uh, comedy, although I do know that that traditionalist view is tragedy, I think, is men at their best. Comedy is men at their worst, is what that kind of uh, standpoint upholds. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think there is much of us that is blended and wonderful and truly what we need in the world that is involved in levity and comedy, I guess, um, in that ability to, to find enjoyment and enjoy the pleasures of life. When you have a story that is about the act of creation, getting too involved in needing epicness Needing that, you know, Odyssean tale of tragedy, of fear and pity might not always be the best. Because <laughs> as you mentioned at the beginning, this is about hanging out with a group of people and enjoying their company. And so the meaningfulness is created within the group. There is mutual enjoyment that is a necessity in that situation. Exactly. I think that that's a really great point because unlike any other time in history, when we're talking about telling these epics and playing within these epics, right? This is the first time where you can be Odysseus. You can physically, not physically, but metaphysically be him and live out his story. But you are living out his story 
sitting five feet away from a bowl of Cheetos. <laughs> you know, like there's there's always going to be that disconnect where it's like, this isn't real. And that's what makes it fun. Unlike those epics and those those grand stories, they were told under the guise of, this is real. And these are the lessons to be learned from these stories, from these great heroes that once lived. These are, are the tales and the the answers that we've always been looking for. Well, in role-playing games, you're not looking for answers. You're just looking to escape. You're just looking to, to have fun for, for a few hours. Well, it's also, it's not just Odysseus, right? It's, the epic is Odysseus. The D&D game is Odysseus and his four to six good equally important friends yeah exactly you know it's not just him it's uh you're right it, it, it isn't just him which also makes it that much better it doesn't put all that much pressure on odysseus it separates it a little bit and that that's also part of the fun where it's like yeah it's four hours but it's four hours and the spotlight isn't constantly on me, which nobody really wants. When, when it's given to you, nobody really wants a spotlight on them 100% of the time. There, there are those breaks that come within those four hours. I think, though, um, one thing that is common in those ideas of the epics, as you're saying, it's n no one wants the spotlight for four hours, but modern tellings of stories, and even well before modern, you know, stories all throughout time emphasize an individual, whereas the reality has much more people involved. Um, and so the communal storytelling, I think, is a good reminder of that. I was watching, there's a video going around on the internet of uh, Fred Rogers giving his, like, little speech at his 1997 Lifetime Achievement Award. And he says, you know, take a moment to think all of the people who helped you, who brought you to where you are today. And I think epics, stories of superheroes, stories of the action stars, tend to push away everybody else for that one person's expertise, experience, awesomeness. Whereas in reality, that one person's expertise and awesomeness, while they could be an expert and awesome, is not possible without a team doing very important roles. And role-playing games are a great reminder of the actual communal aspect of getting shit done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of getting to where you are. It takes other people. It's one of those things where it's like, yes, there's magic. Yes, there's these mighty weapons and these fantastical creatures and cities and, and landscapes or whatever. But even with all of that, even with magic, even with gods, you can't save the world all by yourself. You know, you, you need someone or multiple no. pe other people to save the world with. And that is what makes role-playing games so special and that's what makes role-playing games so unique 
and important really for for so many people is that reminder of i don't need to i don't need to save the world by myself i can save the world in my own little way so we have right now creating our meaningful stories we have clear communication we have understanding and we have the recognition of the community. I would say another important aspect of creating meaning is allowing for the ability to change. Yeah. I think change changes a huge part of it, right? Because every single person sitting around that table uh, needs to be thinking on their feet. You know, nobody has a script. GMs have notes, but they should also be prepared to drop those notes on a dime, right? Where I didn't plan on them to go left in the dungeon, so I hope that they go right. And then, uh-oh, they went left. Well, now it's time to figure some shit up, right? Make, make things up. Being able to change and being able to adapt is, is huge because if players started out every game, saying this is what i want and i'm going to get it there'd be no game right it forces players to change through every obstacle that they come to face with and that's that's something that role playing games tabletop role playing games do very uniquely and there's a reason why there is such a big community of tabletop role players and why there will never not be a tabletop role play in game to play, right? There will always be room for another tabletop role playing game. The systems and stories will change, but the overall message of we're in this together will stay the same. I, exactly. And, you know, if, if you do the first three steps, right? If you find a group that uh, has that sense of understanding, if you clearly communicate throughout the process, and if you recognize that this story is communal, you will find that the space is open and there for you to allow for change and growth without fear. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's a pretty good um a pretty good analysis of how to create these meaningful stories. Clear communication, you know, finding a group that cares recognizing the importance of community and allowing for the space to grow and change. And that might seem like a lot. That might seem hard. And in a way it is. But I think that's where the skills come in that we mentioned earlier and their importance is there is substantial growth in this game, even though there, you know, these games are extremely fun and allow for a lot of really amazingly memorable moments. They are in that disguise, which I don't even think I want to call a disguise because you can have them both. You can have this awesome, fun experience and also a really useful development tool. And when you put them both together, there is a lot of growth. There is skill development. There is really powerful and meaningful connections happening because these things are not necessarily, when you actually take a second to look at them, easy the the ability to find people and connect with them and get that group 
while this is a very accepting and willing community, is not the easiest thing in the world. It takes time. Communication is a resume cover skill, you know? It's something that people desperately need to know how to do in any work environment. So I wouldn't say communication is easy, but it is something that is a necessity and something that this game forces you to do. Recognizing the importance of others, I think it's so easy to get wrapped in your own head, wrapped in your own thoughts, and wrapped in your own feelings, that taking that step back and allowing the support of others and that communal aspect of storytelling is vital. It's, it, it, it is a must. And finally, being be, the ability to be vulnerable, the ability to be empathetic, which is, I think, another theme of this podcast. Through vulnerability and empathy, there is change and growth because you feel comfortable enough in the space to do so. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, um, I think in order to play role-playing games, you need empathy and you need to know that, you know, it is not just you and not everyone is sitting around the table to cater to you and not everyone, everyone is sitting at that table to enjoy this experience, this shared experience. And that, I think that's another thing that, that role-playing games do really well story-wise is have this shared experience, like, like we were saying before. Yeah, I think that's a, that is a good place to, to wrap it up. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for coming on board, my man. It's always a pleasure having you. It's always a pleasure seeing you. Um, where can people find you if they want to look into more of your stories, look into the projects you're working on? Where, where is the Risen of Means found? <laughs> I'm found basically everywhere. Uh, risen underscore M. Thank you, everybody, for watching this episode of Ad Nerdium. As always, please subscribe to the Radio Free George SoundCloud or their Spotify and Stitcher to stay up to date on the latest podcast. Please subscribe to our Instagram at Ad Nerdium Podcast or our Twitter at Ad Nerdium Podcast as well. Uh, have questions, email us at adnerdiumpod at gmail.com. This is Patrick. This is Risen. Signing off. Live long and prosper. Hey, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ad Nerdium, brought to you by Radio Free George. Please tune in every week for a brand new episode where we bring on new guests and discuss exciting topics in nerd culture and society. At the end of every month, come chill out with us on The Stasis Chamber, a special episode where we and our guests comment on the topics of the last month. Have topics you think we should explore? Email us at adnerdiumpod at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at adnerdiumpodcast, and subscribe to our podcast channel on Podbean at adnerdiumpod for all of our latest episodes. To check out our archive, be sure to visit us at our SoundCloud at Adnerdium Podcast. This is Patrick Salerno, your humble host and friend on this journey, and as always, live long and prosper.